If I was going to pick the weather for the first day of the rest of my life, I would have picked weather like today. Guess what? It is the first day of the rest of my life. Amen? What if you got up every day with that thought? This is the first day of the rest of my life, and I'm not going to waste it. Since it is the first day of the rest of your life, since you're here today, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? I hope you use it well. Last week we talked about Ezekiel, the dry bones. And Ezekiel was an unusual prophet, obviously. Many of them were bizarre, some things they were asked to do, no doubt. But he was asked to walk amongst the dry bones. And God took him in a vision, or literally, we don't know, but took him to a place and had him walk amongst the dry bones. And not just bones, but they were scattered bones. And he asked him the question, right? Son of man, do you think that I can bring these bones back? Only you know, Lord. Only you know. Josiah's already mentioned it. But I do have this ringing in my head at times. Kurt, do you believe I can bring this church back to life? Do you believe I can bring this country back to life? Do you believe I can bring that individual back to life? Only you know, Lord. Unstoppable force, the church. As we looked at Israel last week, they've had so many ways to be wiped out over time, haven't they? Over the last 20 centuries, the church has had opportunities to be extinguished either by their own fault or by other. And it lights up somewhere else. You keep stomping it out and it pops up over here. It gets persecuted, it expands. It goes underground and it explodes. You know, 12 years ago, if you'd have come on this campus, and some of you did, there was a chance somebody would have said, there's no life there. Do something else with it. Sell the property. Go somewhere else. Go do something else. And if all would have been just pouring money into this place 10 years, 12 years ago, if that's all it was, that wouldn't bring it life. It would look better. As they say, putting lipstick on a pig, maybe. I don't know, but I don't think it's a pig. It's way better than that, right? But it would be the same result, just putting money in, just making it better, just making it cooler That in itself doesn't bring it life. Because we all know you can be in a tent somewhere in the wilderness and there's life in the church. No money, but the presence and the power of an almighty God who sent his son, who sent the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus is ascending and he's about to leave earth, if you don't really know what that means. He's about to leave earth for the last time in that sense until he comes back, right? 
And the disciples are talking to him, and, and, and they ask this question to him, and I don't have it on the screen. Amen, Joby. Somebody will shout out their G-pop today. That's awesome. Or maybe that was Presley. I'm not sure. Lord, this is the disciples asking Jesus before he leaves. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to, to Israel? And I love what Jesus says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That is a moot point. That really doesn't matter to you. But let me tell you what's going to happen. That part there, you leave that all up to me. There's a long, drawn-out plan on this, and you wouldn't be able to comprehend it right now. There is a day, there is a day, there is a day. Because we can go back to Ezekiel, right? There's a day that's going to rise up a vast army. But he says in one, which recorded in 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What? It shouldn't have shocked them. Jesus is recorded, John recorded in John 16, 7. Jesus' word says, I, however, I'm telling you the sober truth because, again, these guys would have thought either once Jesus is restoring this or, or he's going to be with us as he, we march in. Somehow or another, Jesus is going to be there. But Jesus had already told them. However, I'm telling you the sober truth. The best thing that could ever happen to you. Can you imagine this? The best thing that could ever happen to you is I leave. I mean, process that. What they're hearing in that moment, wherever that time was when John heard this. The best thing that can happen to you is I not be here. How does that even make sense? But I love the phrase there. Well, let me, I guess I can finish. Because I'm, I, if I do not go away, in other words, there's just one of me, human being, walking around with you wherever I go, but I'm going to send one. It's not entrapped by this human body. It's not entrapped me being physically present every time something happens. Jesus had told him, you're going to do greater things than I've done. But I'm going to send one. But I love this sober truth. I give you the sober truth. And what that, that Greek meaning there is, I'm about to tell you reality. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not, I'm not going to... Beat around the edges here. I'm going to give you reality. I've got to go for him to come. That's the truth. Hear what I'm saying. That's reality. Have you ever been in a position where you thought Jesus had forgotten and he didn't have a very good plan of what was going on in your life? He just didn't have a really good plan? But if you could have heard from him and said, the sober truth is this. I need to do this so that can happen. I'll go, Okay. Let's go for it. What was incredible about this whole dialogue from John all the way through, it was the departure of Jesus 
was to the advantage of the disciples. And what's amazing is he tells them eventually to go wait, right? Because Jesus didn't see this whole situation that the disciples were in as the end of the story. He saw it as just barely scratching the beginning of the story. He could see out there growth. He could see out there them receiving the authority and the power to go do things they never could have done before. He could see that out there. He knew they would be an unstoppable force. He knew that. They couldn't see it. And matter of fact, he told them to go wait. He said, because if they had decided right that moment going, hey, Jesus said, let's go be witnesses. Let's go start preaching and gathering people around here in Jerusalem. You know what? We have probably never heard of them. I think it's Moses. Don't hold me to it. Dr. Dan will correct me later. He said, Lord, we don't want to go unless you're going with us. Lord, don't move us unless you're going with us. Lord, don't change our lives. And I'm willing to go wherever, but I don't want to go without you. So they went and they waited, didn't they? And they become this group of men, this scared little, frightened little group of Yehus, unschooled, ordinary men in the corner of the Roman Empire, and they changed the history of the world. If they had decided to go before, we probably had never heard of it. We would have never heard of them. But they waited. And when I'm going to guess, and I wasn't there, obviously, but man alive, I'm going to guess when the infusion and the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and you can read it in Acts 2, when it fell upon them, they knew in that moment their vision became much clearer. They didn't know what all it meant. They didn't know where all they would go. But I have a feeling at that moment they realized wherever we're going, we're now empowered to do it. We have authority to do it because you hear Peter's first sermon, right? Because he calls them out. Aren't you glad when Jesus looked at the disciples, he didn't see them the way they were. He saw them the way they could be. That should be good news for us today. John chapter 3, Jesus tells us, tells Nicodemus and I won't, you can read it for yourself. I won't go get into the, the details of it, but most of you in here have heard the term born again, though, and that's where that term comes out of that chapter, uh, as we well know it. But when he tells Nicodemus of the Sanhedrin, of the, at, at night comes to him a leader, and, 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 and he comes to Jesus and wants to know more. He knows there's something pulling him, something wooing him. So there's something about this. I need to know more. And he comes to him. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. He said, you mean I go back to my mother's room? No, 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 no. No, that's not what I mean. What does he say recorded here in John chapter 3? Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear a sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. 
so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Greek word, pneuma, word for spirit, word for wind, interchangeable there. But he asked Nicodemus this question that I think has been really echoes through the centuries. Do you hear it? How many of you have ever heard the movement of the Spirit on your life and the conviction of drawing you in and you're going, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You figure out ways to manipulate it. Figure out ways to make yourself busy. Figure out ways to put something else in there. But the question's been asked for years, right? For 20, you know, 20 centuries. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it speaking into your life? Because what's so awesome, and many of you have seen this illustration more times, you could probably do it better than I can. But it's one that I use because when we're born of our mothers, born naturally from our mother's womb, we have eyes to see which can't see yet until we're born. We have a tongue to speak which can't speak yet until we're born. We have ears to hear what we can't hear yet until we're born physically. And we're created in the image of God. Until we're born into the spirit, we don't have eyes, spiritual eyes to see what we could see before. We just couldn't see it. We have spiritual ears to hear what we could never hear before. We have spiritual feet that will go that never could have gone there before. We have spiritual hands that have put our hands to the plow and do things that we never would have done before. Because the spirit infuses us. The spirit leads us. The spirit calls us out. It blows where it blows, when it blows, and you don't get to choose when it blows. You may be in the best days of your life. Oh, man, I've got so many things going on in my life. Man, look, i got this new thing here, new house here, new car, new job. And what does the Holy Spirit come along and do? It just blows right into your life. you got everything going on. There are times we want to call out for the Holy Spirit to come blowing up our life because we've blown it up ourselves, right? We need somebody to help actually put it back together. But whatever, everything's going well. Nicodemus, do you hear the wind? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And there's a lot of things we could write about. And the Holy Spirit's not the, you know, it's not the reserve team, just so you know. Okay. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Just want to make sure you kind of know where that all kind of falls in there. But one of them is it's the presence of Jesus. It's pretty important. John 14, 16 through 18. I don't know if you have it up there or not. I think I may have missed that highlight, but I'll read it for you. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In what form? In the form of the Spirit living in you. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. And the reason is that only the Holy Spirit can penetrate men and women's hearts, can only call you out and change you. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit working on you way before you knew it was the Holy Spirit? Church of the Nazarene, we call it provenient grace. We call it that grace that goes before salvation, but what it really is is the Holy Spirit wooing us. It's wooing us. It's, it's, it's messing up our day. It's reminding us of what's been said, right? Anybody been there? You may be there right now. But it's wooing us. It's the thing that develops, the Holy Spirit develops the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the reality is the fruit of the Spirit, and I sure would love to preach, I'll preach on that sometime, but we don't just want to get one fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and we want all the traits that go with it. Not just a couple of traits, we want all the traits. But the thing I want to make sure what we do in here on Sunday mornings and what we would do in uncommon training and what we do in Bible studies and what we do in all the other places, we never wanted what I do in preaching and we do an altar call or however we do it. What I want want you to know is we never want to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. I can't talk you into salvation. I can give some conditions for that to happen. But it's only the Spirit. What we do in here on Sunday mornings, the purpose of it is for the, the recognition of the presence of God. But we could do it all for eight hours and the presence of God is not here. We're in trouble, right? I also don't want to be a church like we were talking about earlier. There's times, sometimes churches need to be closed because Ichabod has been written over their door mantle. That means is the spirit is gone. The glory is left. <laughs> we don't want to be that kind of church. I tell you when you can kind of gauge what kind of church you've got is, are people being set free? Because the truth, not not the truth as that pastor does a good job preaching. No, the spirit of truth is present. People are being set free from shame. People are being set free from addictions. People are being set free from slavery to things. People are being set free. If you want to gauge if your church is effective, look at that. Not how many people show up. Not what nice buildings and good songs. But are people being set free? We sing songs show a lot of emotion in here. Some of us. (laughs) I believe we're emotional beings. I believe we hear, you know, songs in different things, different ways. I believe when the presence is real, emotion shows up too. (laughs) Can it be manipulated? Of course. Of course it can. And that's the reason you need to be praying for us. We to be praying for ourselves and how we bring it to you each Sunday morning. It's because without the presence and the power of the Spirit, what we do, we might as well just be twiddling our thumbs. We may be doing more damage than good. Because somebody somewhere is. And you need to go there instead of here. The presence and the power of the Spirit.
Holy Spirit's a spiritual guide. I'm sending you an advocate. I'm sending you a guide. I'm sending you someone to walk with you. He's not there to condemn you, but he is there to convict you. He's there to woo you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to encourage you. The Spirit will guide them into all truth. And again, not new truth, but just reminding us the truth that we already should have known or we need to know. And one of the toughest parts about the whole spiritual revelation in our lives so many times, yes, they're day-to-day and you get this prompting. You go do something, right? You you feel like the Holy Spirit prompts you, you go do it. Sometimes we call it impressions. Sometimes we call it different things, right? I was impressed. I felt like I was being pressed by the Spirit to go do this, and you go do it. Or you felt like, no, I wasn't supposed to do that. I felt felt checked. Everybody ever said that? I felt checked in my spirit about not doing that. But then there's often those times the Holy Spirit comes, and it's so glaring and so obvious. Around here we call it Henry Blackaby's crisis of belief. Well, you have to make a real choice. You have to make a real decision. Am I going to trust God on this and follow him or not? Am I going to trust him or not? And what so often happens when we say not is we think we can stay right where we were. That's a lie. And you have those kind of moments You either move forward or you move backwards. You don't stay in the same place, in my belief. But what I love about when the Holy Spirit is so real in our lives, one, I remember early on in my faith that I believed I was growing, was spiritual things began to make sense. Or before I was a believer, it didn't. Even as a young believer, I'm going, that doesn't make any sense. Tithing or giving up my weekly Sunday mornings or what if those didn't even, are you kidding? That's, That's radical, man. That's so radical. But the Holy Spirit prompted me. And what I believe to this day, I've been asked before, Kurt, why do you believe you grew so fast in your faith, not even knowing what the first book of the Bible was when you gave your life to the Lord? I was 27 years old, if you don't know that. 27 years old, didn't know what the first book of the Bible was. Why did you grow so fast? I said, because when I started reading the scripture and it became so real in me, the things I understood I tried to apply to my life. And as they began to apply to my life, things had to leave. There was no room left for them. Now, again, I have to fight that fight, and I've been, been a Christian, what now, 36 years, I still have to be on my face before the Lord fighting that fight so many times because it could come back. Don't misunderstand me. But all of a sudden, I wanted to make right choices. I wanted to do right things. And we've said this often here, what is right? It's what lines up with God's righteousness. Not rights by the culture, not rights by the government. I don't mean those kind of rights. I'm talking about what lines up with God's righteousness. That's right. Because the law may not line up with God's righteousness, just so you know, if you hadn't, and what we would interpret, just, just so you know. Imparting spiritual gifts. 
Each person has a purpose. And I believe each person has been given whatever gift God sees for, for them to complete that purpose. Back to unstoppable. For many of you, you need to begin to tap into the spiritual gifts God has given you. That will make you unstoppable. Again, what's unstoppable? We go back to Acts 13, 36 with David. David served God's purpose in his own generation, and he died. You're, you're, you're unstoppable until God takes you home. And when you begin to live in the purposes and the spirit and the things that God has called you to do, and especially begin to live in the gift mix, it begins to make more sense in life. It begins to give you a signpost on the, on, the, on, the, on the pathway of following after Jesus. It's not the only thing, but it is something, and it's big something. And the last one I'll share with you is the power to walk boldly as his witness. The power, and it goes back to, Acts chapter 2, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine Peter standing up there and just going, hey, you guys, you killed the king of kings. Yeah, I said it. I'm going to say it again. Repent. And often Jesus, Jesus' first sermon was what? Repent. Peter's first sermon, repent. I think Paul's may have been, repent. And what many people hear when they hear that is, oh, condemnation, condemnation. Oh, my goodness. Now you just make me repent and go through all this stuff I've done. And you make me want to, you make me want to feel bad. You know what they were preaching? They were preaching freedom. They were preaching repentance is the path. There is no other path. You want to find another path. There's no other path coming. The only path there is is repentance. That's it. If you're looking for another path to God, you're not going to find it. I like this message. I'm going to tell you why. It changed my life. Not this message, but the power of what he can do when you finally realize repentance is the way. Not church attendance, not all the structure, not all the dry bones having their meat on them. It's not when breath is breathed into you. That's when you come alive. You won't act like me. You won't be as loud as me. But I'll tell you this, you can have the same power any of us, rest of us have. You shall receive power to be boldly as a witness, boldly. And you know our definition of boldness around here. Speak or live the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. Not bluntness, not all that. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You're going to have to listen. No. I'm speaking the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. I know I may be risking something here. You allow the Spirit to discern, help you discern when to do it, how to do it, all that. To preach it boldly. Paul talks about pray for me that I'll preach it or I'll, I'll, I'll give the gospel boldly as I should. I mean, I should be able to do that. And most of the time it's just telling about what Jesus has done in my life. That's maybe the whole, I don't have to know all the scripture. I don't have to know all the other little details. What Jesus did in my life matters. And it may be enough to help you. 
And I believe this, when the Holy Spirit comes, when he really is blowing you up, I believe that he comes with an urgency. One is the fact that I no longer represent uh, Kurt Gentry. I, no longer, I don't represent Renovation Church or the Church of the Nazarene. I represent the King of Kings. And I really feel like I have something here that can really help you. It'll cause you to go places that you never would have thought you'd ever go. Cause you to sit across from people that people might remember when we talked about Hosea. Hosea, why are you hanging out with those people? Why did you go there? You're a man of God. Why are you there? God told me to come here and look for her. And in the process, looking for us. Because again, we're Gomer in the story, right? We're not Hosea. Dr. Dan shared a story the other day with our staff. And I heard him, he had shared it with me briefly before. And it's from a general board a few years ago, a regional director in the Church of the Nazarene. Those of you who don't know, we're part of the Church of the Nazarene. And this regional director was sharing a story about what happened on his region. I don't, we don't know specifically the region, but wherever it is, it's a lot tougher to do what they need to do than it is here. I can guarantee you that. So, district assembly, this pastor is trying to get, he has to pick, he has to get two boat connections in order to get to where he needs to get to to get to district assembly. District assembly is when all the churches from a specific district or location come together, and they come together for this particular one for five days, or somewhere along that number. This pastor is trying to get there and he's doing the best he can and he's already planted churches and things like that. Things are going well, but he starts and he gets to this first boat to make the connection and he misses his boat. Talked to you a few weeks ago about redeeming the time. I thought that praying at, at the line at McDonald's is redeeming my time, praying for the car next to me until I heard this story. What does the guy do? He's there for 24 hours. He's going to have to wait till the next day to get the boat. So he goes into town. He says, I think I'm going to go to town and talk to the folks. He ends up over 24 hours leading 15 to 20 people to the Lord. Okay? Now, this is a story from a regional director. So you just hang with me. I mean, I know our Nazarenes. We need stories. And I think this was a great one because he decided to redeem something. And he knew he could speak it with boldness. And he's going to be gone the next day. How about that? But he tells those 15 to 20 people, he said, oh, by the way, before I leave, you're a church now. Matter of fact, you're a church of the Nazarene. I haven't asked my district superintendent yet, but I am saying you're now a church of the Nazarene right here in this little town, and I'll be back. He gets his boat, goes to the next town, misses the boat again. You know what he does? He goes and starts speaking to the people in the village. You know what he does there? Leads 15 to 20 people to the Lord. You know what he says? Hey, by the way, you're now a church. Matter of fact, you're a church of the Nazarene. I got to ask my DS about that. I'm not completely sure, but I think I can do that. And he gets this district assembly finally and shares with them what I just shared with you. He said, I'm sorry for being two days late, but this is what I was doing with my time those two days. Now that district, I think Dan said, and by the way, they did make those churches, my understanding. That district has 800 churches. 800. 
They're starting a church a week. Not getting a person saved a week. They're starting a church a week. When you have that kind of movement and that kind of boldness and that kind of authority and time where you're not getting interrupted by a lot of different things, 52 baptisms would be great for us this next year. I will admit that. But 52 churches that have those baptisms in it, wow. I thought, man, you could write a book. Mr. Boat started a church. <laughs> Mr. Boat, Mr. Another Boat started another church. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes. So the presence of God will permeate our community, to permeate your home, to permeate wherever we go, because the presence of God, he says, will reside in you. The presence of Jesus will be in you. And you shall receive power to go to places you never imagined you would go and do things you never imagined you would do for the kingdom's sake because these people matter. I asked Josiah him to come as we close. James Bryan Smith says this. Do we have that quote? He says, we're coming out of an era, modernity, that put a heavy emphasis on the rational side of faith. And some of you are going to get offended here, but hang on. Baby boomers are the last generation to have framed Christianity as a set of doctrines to believe with little emphasis on the experiential, even mystical aspect of life with God. Arguments for the authority, even the inerrancy of the Bible, became central, certainly to evangelical Christians. The same is true of the literal six-day creation. These black and white positions determine who was and was not a true believer. But we are in a new era in which the Bible is God's spirit-inspired authoritative word, but not necessarily a science textbook. It is a work of art that has the power to transform lives. Smith goes on to say, what is at stake here is that the world is wanting to see if Christ's followers can attest to a real, genuine, dare I say, mystical experience where we possess knowledge that is experiential and relational, that is eternal life. I think we have a new apologetic, and we need to know all these other things, and I think there's great conversation around all those things from an apologetic standpoint. But unless we're spirit-infused, Church of the Nazarene was started 125 years ago or so, 115, whatever. To incite, I think the word is, to incite these, these, these places of fire of this Holy Spirit, just but to incite them. And you know where they started? With poor, poorest places of town. Phineas Brzee, the founder of the Church of the Nazarene, would stand at the door and walk the poorest of the four to the front row. They didn't get the back row. The, the wealthiest didn't get the front row. He would walk them down front. And we were a movement. There's a real danger for any big church. I mean, any church. Mega church is everything. When at one time you were a movement and you were willing to risk everything, you become so big, you're not willing to risk anything anymore. 
because you got too much to protect. God, break our hearts. That includes me as an individual, 63 years old. I've got more right now than I've ever had. I was willing to risk everything when I had nothing. Holy Spirit, come. Speak. Rest on us. Do not let us be the same people every Sunday. I want you to be different next week when you get here. Because you decided tomorrow and today, this is the first day of the rest of my life, and I'm going to figure out what to do with it as God leads me. Won't you stand with us? We're going to close around the altars. If you feel led this morning as the Spirit has been, I hope and pray, been prompting and not my loud voice, and I apologize, a little more wired and fired up today. But man, don't want you to miss it. Just don't want you to miss it. It's too good. Nicodemus, do you hear it? Do you hear it? The wind blows where it blows, and it doesn't blow on your timing. But it blows. Step into the wind. Lord, help us right now as we close this service. And Lord, we feel like we've done our best to share what is on our hearts this morning, but only your spirit, the spirit, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome, I hope, and everyone's alive this morning to give hope and freedom from shame, from types of bondage to our past, whether it happened to us or we caused it. But this day is the first day of the rest of our life. And we're going to give it to you. We're not going to spend all being drugged down by the past, even though we'll let you figure all that out. But we're moving today forward the best we understand it as you guide us for your glory. Help us now, Lord, as we sing. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come if you feel comfortable this morning. Pray.